So Money episode 809, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Barbara Sloan. It's So Money Time, Ask Farnoosh Fridays. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Thank you for joining us November 16th, 2018. I'll tell you, I am packed and ready to leave tomorrow morning out to the West Coast, San Francisco, to hang out with my fam, my Persian mom, my Persian dad, brother in tow. Uh, We are all flying with the kiddos. First cross-country flight with two kids, ages four and 20 months. Uh, light a candle for me, you know, do a, do a little prayer, whatever you got to do. I know it's going to be hard. I'm just prepared. I have very low expectations for the flight, uh, but we've got lots of snacks loaded up the iPad. Sorry if you think that's bad parenting. When you're on a flight, it's just survival. It is just about getting to your destination with all everybody, uh, you know, relatively intact. And so, uh, you know, keeping a good sense of humor also important. So uh, looking forward to um, reporting to you from that, maybe some uh, Instagram stories. So if you're not joining me on Instagram yet, maybe it's a good time to join. There'll be some really, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know what, what's going to happen. Uh, so th- here's the, how's that for a tease, okay? So anything goes tomorrow and the next day as we fly to San Francisco. And this is actually, I'm telling you this, I don't think my husband will be listening to this particular episode. And if he does, well, I'm leaving him a little, uh, you know, just a, a little surprise, I guess, in, in, the, in the episode. But I am surprising my husband when we land in San Francisco and telling him that we are leaving the kids with my parents and we are flying to Portland. Yes, I'm surprising my husband with a surprise trip to Portland for his soon 40th birthday. So he's never been to the Pacific Coast and well, the Pacific Northwest, and he is hopefully going to be really happy about that little uh, update in our trip. And it's going to be the first time that the two of us are on a trip without our kids in a very long time. And for an extended period of time, it's almost never happened, I think. So uh, that's also on my docket. And uh, yeah, just wanted to give you a little you know, behind the scenes of what's happening in the in, in my life. But if you haven't listened to some of the episodes from this week, I really would encourage you to go back and check out David Nagel from Monday. He is an entrepreneur and a, a coach who helps people transform their financial lives, particularly in the area of earning. I say he's got sort of these Jedi mind tricks for helping us earn more money. And his story is... Uh, well, it starts out pretty devastatingly. He almost died. He had a near life, uh, sorry, near death experience. And from there, as you can imagine, he had a bit of a, a reckoning with his life and the decisions that he'd been making and really started to rebuild his path from there and along the way help many, many others as well. So his story I found very inspirational. Dan Chabelle on Wednesday, episode 808, has a new book out. And it's all about the the culture of the workplace and how it's evolving. I will be with Dan at the 92nd Street Y on uh, the Monday after Thanksgiving. I believe that's the 20, 26th. So if you're in the New York area and you'd like to see us live, 
uh, check us out at the 92nd Street Y. I believe it starts at 7 p.m. Also with us on the panel will be Ryan Surhant from Bravo's Million Dollar Listing. Dan's book, by the way, is called Back to Human. And it came out on November 13th. And it's probably already a New York Times bestseller. So I would highly recommend that. But very excited also to introduce our co-host today. I am so excited to introduce Barbara Sloan to all of you. Barbara has been a listener of the show since the election, which I think is when many people turned to inspirational podcasts and other sources of uh, just hope. She is not just a fan of the podcast, but she really went above and beyond and turned out uh, to my very first comedy show which was, I mean, it just blew me away when she came up to me afterwards and said, um, I heard you were performing tonight because you were mentioning it on your podcast. I have to be careful what I say on this show. You guys actually follow up on things that I say. But she um, and her wife came to my show and we hung around for a little bit. I think there was some selfie action and it really was... It was very touching and um, really made me feel super special. And, but you know, Barbara is a so money woman in her own right. And I can't wait for her to share a little bit about her financial journey. Business owner, she says to me, she's saved her emergency fund. She owns a property in Boston. And get this, she actually took out a mortgage when she was 18 or 19 years old. I want to hear about this. Barbara, welcome to So Money. Hi, Farnoosh. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. How about that intro, right? I mean, to hear your bulleted accomplishments in your financial life, pretty exceptional, right? I mean, a mortgage when you were 18, 19 years old, of course, times have changed. I don't know if you can get a mortgage now at that age, but tell us a little bit about, you know, what motivates you financially? Well, most recently, it's your podcast and your listeners who write in and all of your wonderful guests who, you know, give us a lot of inspiration um, as listeners. Um, but before that, uh, when I, when I was 18 and 19, um, I did take out a mortgage. I would not recommend it. Um, I was not financially educated at that point. Uh, I took it out for, I mean, the, the emotional reasons, but not for financial reasons. When I was 19, my dad passed away and I bought the house I grew up in and put myself a hundred percent finance mortgage and put myself into about $30,000 of consumer debt, taking out cards to purchase, building materials to renovate appliances, tools. Um, but that launched into my passion, which was construction, um, which I have been in since then. And I'm actually um, an operations manager and a partner in a women-owned and operated construction company in Manhattan called Manhattan Renovations. Um, So money and that home has been uh, the reason behind a lot of decisions in my life. Mm. I I love that. I love that you sort of discovered, you found your your path at at that age. That's quite the gift because I think a lot of us struggle throughout life with like what – what is our purpose or what is our passion? And you uh, were able to find that at a young age. And now, my gosh, I mean, so tell me a little bit about, I'm really curious, you know, as an all-female team working in a very male-dominated industry construction, what's that like? It's it's very interesting. So we, we stand out uh, when we go on walkthroughs. Uh, I'm usually standing with three or four other white males in their 40s and 50s. Um, The walkthrough is a very interesting process because you're usually there with an architect or a designer and you're trying to impress upon them that you understand the scope, that you get their vision, um, and you do that through asking 
questions. So it's kind of a, a competition for who can ask the best questions. <laughs> <laughs> and we were talking earlier because I've been through major renovations in my home and, and you know, it's stressful. And you were saying that, uh, you know, ultimately when you're working on a reno project, especially one of a large scale, the sort of thing that where you have to expect that everything's going to go wrong or a lot of things are going to go wrong. So it's not even about finding someone who's perfect, but someone who's really good at managing expectations and dealing with problems. Yeah, managing expectations, dealing dealing with problems, being transparent, getting the bad news out of the way up front. Um, you know, that's a, one of the things that me and my, uh, you know, counterparts pride ourselves on in our office is that we we manage expectations and we we tell people when things go wrong immediately. Construction in New York, there's always going to be problems. Um, we specialize in high end interiors um, on the residential side. And, and with that, you're, you have neighbors, you have upstairs neighbors, mm -hmm. downstairs neighbors, left and right neighbors. So there's always something, um, but it's about being honest and, and being fair. I'm looking at the Manhattan Renovations website, gorgeous interior photos of homes I assume you've worked on. Has that um, bled into your own life? Do you have sort of like the real estate bug, the renovation itch? Do you find yourself wanting to, is your home looking like some of these places? Yeah, I'm definitely obsessed with real estate, but it's sort of like the the cobbler's kids have no shoes. Um, <laughs> my, my my apartment is not not finished, um, as you may expect. My efforts are focused on our clients and just on you know the other side of real estate. All right, um, you you've since uh, saved for an emergency fund. Was that challenging? What, what how did that come about? Yeah, so uh, we started saving for our emergency fund last year, and I remember when I was sort of listening to your podcast and hearing some of your experts say that it should be between three and six months of expenses. I live in New York. That's a lot of expenses. I was, I, w I was overwhelmed. I was like, oh, my gosh, how does anybody in New York save up that kind of money? And, you know, it's just – just like with everything, you reverse engineer it. You figure mm -hmm. out what it, what it needs to be, and, and you, you go from there. Right. And so what were some of the things that you did? Any trade-offs? Any cuts to the budget? Yeah, this is this is typical. We, we started meal prepping and packing lunches, packing breakfast, and eating in more. New York's very expensive, and it's very tempting to eat out all the time, go out for cocktails constantly. So we also did a few rounds of Whole30, which I, I know you had finished a few weeks ago. And that, we actually ended up saving money on Whole30, which is not everybody's ah. but. For us, it was, yeah. I just did a whole 30 in October. I did like a whole 22. I kind of went, it was a slippery slope at the end. But I was, those 22 days were, you know, they paid off. And yeah, I think that you end up eating a lot of the same, I do. I ended up eating a lot of the same stuff. Not eating out as much, right? Because mm -hmm. that's challenging when you're on a sort of limited diet. So multi-benefits to going on the whole 30 diet health benefits and financial benefits. I know you're a bit of a financial whiz in your own right, and I'm so excited to have you as a partner as we go through some of these money questions. And today's list of questions, all of them came through the Ask Farnoosh button on my website. So thank you to everybody for utilizing that. I know there are many ways you can t get in touch with me. There's Instagram, there's Facebook, there's the Ask Farnoosh button on the homepage over at somoneypodcast.com. You can leave a voicemail or uh, email me or type in your question. 
And so uh, usually a lot of the questions come from Instagram. Those still continue to come through, but I wanted to dedicate an episode to the web the web writers. And so first question, Barbara, comes from someone who wants to stay anonymous. And he, she's wondering, what are some credible resources to learn about becoming a CFP? This person has a liberal arts bachelor's, no official business or finance background, and would prefer to find an online program, but it is hard to tell what is legit from a Google search. So uh, funny story, I would say five years ago, I just got this inspiration one day. I think I was on the path to publishing When She Makes More, and I thought, I'm going to get my CFP. Yeah, I'm going to go and get my CFP, taking some practice exams, and didn't fail them. So I thought, well, how hard can it be? Right. And it's hard. I tried to do it by myself while pregnant, while trying to write a book. First, to answer this person's question, what are some legit places to learn uh, or study to take the CFP board exam? And I would start by going to cfp.net, which is the website for certified financial planners. And this is the board that you know, comes up with all the rules and regulations and the sort of bylaws for those who are CFPs. It's the Center for Financial Planning. They have resources. I think that um, ultimately, if you want to take it online, um, you can do it through a bunch of different schools and you can order the books from the internet. And I wish I had my books. I could send them to you, but I ended up just donating them. It was a bit of a not so money moment for me um, going down this rabbit hole of trying to become a CFP. I think that it's a great plan if you want to pursue this. I mean, we've had tons of people on this show who are CFPs. And I think over the years, the uh, the career trajectory has really uh, become more flexible and more innovative. So there's no need now to kind of like open up a brick and mortar office and see clients face to face. If you want to do that, that's fine. But I know like in large cities and expensive cities, that can be a lot of overhead. But nowadays you're hearing a lot about CFPs working virtually with clients. They are um, traveling CFPs. You don't have to live in a particular neighborhood or town or state to find clients. You can find them on the internet. And uh, so CFP.net is a great website. I would also check out XY Planning, xyplanningnetwork.com. This is a website that is dedicated to CFPs that uh, cater to people in the millennial and Gen X category. And a lot of the CFPs are themselves millennials or Gen Xers. Um, But there you can also start to see like, what were the paths? They, they have profiles and bios of all these CFPs on their website. And I think that's a great way to inform yourself like, oh, okay, so this person, I, I really like this person's theme or focus within the financial professional field. What did they do? Where did they get their uh, certification and what has been their path? It can be kind of a source of inspiration for you. But don't do what I did, which is, uh, you know, do it without really doing your research. I just, um, you know, feel like I did it a little too uh, maniacally and of course didn't end up finishing it, but it's all good. I'm glad I didn't do it in the end, but I had to learn it, I guess, the hard way. Uh, But do some more research. I think the most important thing too, after you figure out 
the right place to take the course, you can do it virtually or in person, is to figure out like what kind of a student are you? Do you want to do it virtually? Do you like doing it in person? There might be a bit of a way to do it in a hybrid fashion. And also, do I have the time and capacity? That's really important. I mean, no matter how smart you are, you do have to study for this stuff. It's not it's not that easy. It is a bit of a learning curve, I think, no matter where you're coming from. Being sure that you have the time built into your schedule to devote to this is important. The CFP exam is only so many times a year. It's not every day. So you want to make sure that you're also studying um, in within a period of time where you can take that exam close to when you're, you know, done learning and giving yourself a little bit of time to, you know, prepare for the exam too. But Barbara, I don't know if you've ever done any professional license test taking, like, it's, it's hard when you've got a full-time job to do this. Yeah, definitely. We have to be up on OSHA certifications, and so we're, we're constantly learning in that way. Um, for Anonymous, I was just going to say find some CFPs in your area, and maybe you could interview them about their educational path or credentials or resources that they had, or like maybe a meet, go to a meetup. Mm-hmm. That's a great idea. I don't know if you're in the New York area, but I know NYU has um, a program. And Dalton is a really big school that uh, issues the uh, a lot of the courses online. Um, so they're very flexible at Dalton. I know that when I went through them, I think they um, they give you like a year to basically access their, their school, so to speak, online. Um, but if you for any reason need to delay that or come back to it, they're, they're pretty – they're pretty cool there. So I would I would I would say look into Dalton education. All right, good luck to you, Anonymous, and thanks for writing in and keep us posted. All right, Rebecca Barbara is in her sixties and she has a full time job. She makes forty five grand a year. She has twenty eight thousand in credit card debt, no savings, no retirement plan. Um she her company does offer a four oh one K, but she's not eligible until next year. So her question is, is my only option for doing better financially to pay off my credit cards? Or are there other things that I should look into while paying off my credit cards? Well, certainly the debt needs to go. I think that's that's low-hanging fruit, right? Classic advice would probably be to pay down all of the credit cards first. Um, but I would try a multi-tiered approach. I think that like the behavioral psychology of watching something grow kind of feeds your motivation to keep saving and also paying down debt. It's not probably the classic advice, but that's what I would do. Yes. And unfortunately, I don't know the industry that Rebecca is in or what her other skills are, but, you know, I would, I, if I were her, I mean, I don't know if she's into this, but I would try to find an alternative revenue stream, another way to bring in some income. If I were 64 and I needed extra money, I would look at kind of what I like to do. I love to watch kids. I love to, maybe there's a job where you could pet sit or babysit or do a part-time job somewhere on the weekends and maybe it's in retail. I don't know. But there, I think that to really start to save with a $45,000 a year income, which is, you know, average income in this country is around $50,000. So it's around average. But if you need to level up your savings, which she has none of, I think it's going to require either making more or cutting back dramatically on her expenses. And so Rebecca, whichever of those is easier for you or something you can do fast, you know, look at all your expenses. I mean, that's, I think, got to happen. Take a hard look at your expenses. Are there ways that you can 
trim. And I think at 64, you are soon eligible for Social Security. So that's helpful. If you don't know what you're on track to receive as your monthly Social Security benefit, you can go to ssa.gov and find out. Not a lot of people know they can do that. Have you done that recently, Barbara? No, no. It's kind of nice to know like what you're on track to get uh, if you still believe you're going to get it. I do. I'm, I'm a firm believer in Social Security, at least for our lifetime. I mean, I better get my Social Security. I've been paying into it for a lot of years. So if not, maybe it won't be called Social Security, but I'm expecting some sort of payout uh, or a refund. Thank you. Uh, but you can go to ssa.gov and see what that monthly payment will be. And also they'll let you know while you're there, if you, if you let's say you tap into it at 66 or 65, whenever you become eligible, up until 70, you know, the longer you wait, the higher your monthly payment will be. So that can be kind of fun to see and kind of weigh the the pros and cons. But yes, Rebecca, I think paying off the credit card is is rule number one. Then after that, look at how you can, or as you're doing that, look at how you can curb your expenses, pare down your expenses, and then see if you can, in if whatever spare time you have, bring in an extra $75, $100 a week. Every little bit counts as you age and as you reach full retirement age. I hope that was helpful and thank you so much for writing in and listening to the show. All right, our next question is from Grace. Do you have the questions in front of you, Barbara? I would love for you to take this one yeah. and, and let us know what's on Grace's mind. Sure. Uh, hi, Farnoosh. My parents are in their late 70s and are retired. They both have health issues and will be needing full-time caregivers. Is it a good idea to take out a reverse mortgage to help cover expenses and medical bills? Their home is paid for. My mother has $100,000 in a CD and my father has $90,000 in a retirement account. Thanks. Yeah, a lot of people are are curious about the reverse mortgage. I did do some research for Grace and I came across reversemortgage.org, which looked like a really comprehensive website with a lot of good information. Um, The takeaway that I had was just to make sure that both of her parents were on the mortgage if they did go that route. And something else to consider is that if your parents do need to go into a nursing home, that you might need to sell the home in order to pay off the loan. Ah, interesting. Some things to think about. Firstly, let's take a step back. What is a reverse mortgage, right? It's available to people who are um, in their 60s, a type of home equity loan. You don't have to make a monthly mortgage payment. You have to be 62 or older and have considerable home equity. You can borrow against the value of your home and then you get funds whether it's lump sum, fixed monthly payment, a line of credit, up to you. But you have to remember that, you know, this, of course, there's going to be gotchas, but you have to uh, be ready for some of the the interest, the fees, and that if you ever sell the home or are no longer living in the home because you moved or passed away, all the money will be due. You know, you will have to sell the home and basically pay back the mortgage, the reverse mortgage. And so people who have children who want to leave their home to their children or want to leave the equity in their home to their children, this is going to change those plans, perhaps, uh, because you're not going to have that or as much money left for them. So things to consider. You know, it's I I like that website that you mentioned. It's reversemortgage.org. Yep. Don't rush into it like anything else. Really do your homework. Just keep in mind, too, usually you can only borrow up to 80% of your equity. Maybe do 30% or 40%, right? You don't maybe want to do the whole 
amount that a bank would be willing to give you just to stay conservative. Because here's what happens. Like if you get all this money, you're going to spend it, right? So work with a little bit of less. Apply for a little bit less money and just have it there. Uh, Don't tap it only in an emergency. Kind of keep that mentality. That way you mitigate some risk. All right. Good luck, Rebecca. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay. Oh, sorry. Grace. That was Grace. All right. RB. Okay. It's a bit of a longer question. So I'm going to see if I can maybe sort of condense this a little bit. So RB is 38 and is an entrepreneur, has a four-year-old business and says, um, she says, as of 2018, um, I make enough in my business to independently support myself. Awesome. This is fortunate because my husband of 13 years left me a few weeks ago. Not awesome. She says that was a surprise. So this is the reality now. She's a single mom to a 12-year-old who will still see her father on the weekends, and there will be some sort of child support arrangement made, but she doesn't make a but he doesn't make a lot, and she has been the top earner for most of the marriage. And uh, they own a home which she wants to keep for many reasons. One, stability for her kid. She also runs the business from the house, so another reason to keep the house. Moving would be disruptive. And she plans to rent an extra bedroom to help bring in some extra income. I think she's got quite a good plan going on. She's not feeling so solid on this plan. She wants to know what else should she be doing. She wants to be in a better financial position than she was when she was married and feels like it's a lofty goal. I think she's killing it. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, that, yeah. she's supporting I herself. She action. Yeah. She's supporting herself. She's bringing in extra income. She says that her husband is going to make some sort of child support arrangement. So that hopefully will offset some of that burden. I would say also make an arrangement with your husband to work on jointly saving for your um, child's college right? If you don't already have some sort of savings plan going, start doing that because I think that it might be smooth sailing for a while because you've got the income and you've got the child support, but if but that's going to be a big whammy if you're not prepared for it. Be conscientious of that. I just would hate for you to have that be kind of an, an interruption to otherwise a, a stable financial situation. But I like the idea of bringing in extra income. I'm really sorry. This is really shitty that this happened to you. And, uh, you know, I think, though, this is a reminder uh, why it's so important for everybody, particularly women, to have their own money. Can you imagine if RB was a stay-at-home mother who hadn't worked for many years and had all her eggs in her husband's financial basket, so to speak, you know, and then he leaves And they've got this child and they have this mortgage and all these expenses and he's not being very nice about child support. I mean, and then you got to go to court. It's devastating. Absolutely devastating. And I think relatively speaking, you are very fortunate and it's all because you've been looking out for yourself all these years and so happy for you. I feel very confident she's going to kill it. Yeah, I think I love the idea of renting a room out. Um, I love the idea of her maybe thinking of additional passive income opportunities. You know, if she lives in a city, maybe she could also rent out her car or do like a key cafe or luggage drop location since she since she also works from home. Um, and if she doesn't have like an IRA, maybe she should consider setting up a SEP IRA since she's self-employed. I love it. Ah, great idea. And I just feel like I know that from my friends and other anecdotes that when 
when your life takes a unexpected turn and it's it can be very emotional and um, sometimes the offset of that is that your work blossoms, right? Because you need a distraction. So if you're feeling a lot of, if you're hurt and you're and you, you want to think about this, like I would say redirect some of that into your business, right? Like this is a great, be selfish, right? Just like do what you want to do, um, work on your business, take care of your child and take care of you. And I think that if you really lean into that over the next few years, because you don't want to deal with all the other nonsense that's happening on this other side of life, think about where your business could go. Like get excited and work on some business goals because now you have, you have no reason not to succeed. You know, I mean, there there's going to be, some stress and some disappointment ahead, I'm not going to lie, but it is a great time also to now really just focus on you and your daughter or son. I'm not sure if it's a daughter or son, but I have a lot of hope for you. And I know if you're already listening to this show, you're a go-getter, you're already proving to me that you have a lot of gumption. So RB, high five, virtual high five to you. Keep in touch. I'm excited for her. I think she's going to kill it. She's going to do great. And what an example she'll be setting for her 12-year-old. You know, I think a lot of people who come on this show talk about the strength and the perseverance that they witnessed in their single mothers because it was out of necessity, but they're very impressed at the end of the day. They, they look back with a lot of pride. And so um, keep that in mind, too, that this is something that you're going to be setting an example for your, for your 12-year-old. Okay, last but not least, Will, who started a new job at a – startup, a small startup, which can be exciting, but here is the trade-off, as with a lot of younger companies, he no longer has a 401k. And he was accustomed to having one. He came from a larger company, and he was typically contributing 15% of his income to that 401k. He doesn't have one anymore. Um, he has already taken out a Roth IRA, Barbara, but you know, after you max that out, it's still, he says, not adding up to the 15% that he was doing before and he'd like to maintain that sort of you know retirement strategy it's only about a third of the 15% that he was doing before so sounds like you know with the Roth IRA you can do up to 5500 so he's looking for maybe another $10,000 to put somewhere what alternative investment options would i recommend um, since he's sort of maxed out the Roth IRA i i would say uh, a traditional brokerage account filled with low fee index or ETFs, index funds or ETFs. And you can, you know, really, we've talked about so many automated advisors, automated platforms on this show. So Betterment, Schwab has one, Vanguard has one, uh, Elevest, there's so many. And I think the key here is you want to save money on fees. Since you're not getting any tax deductions for contributing to a brokerage account, you want to maybe try to save offset some of the costs by finding low fee funds and also low fee platforms. And uh, index funds, exchange rate of funds typically are within that category. And yeah, that's what I would do. I have these funds because I feel like even between my IRAs, I want to do more. So we also, uh, Tim and I have a brokerage account, which is full of, um, ETFs and index funds. Do you have any other ideas for him, Barbara? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. The brokerage account with ETFs or you know stock index funds is the way to go. I think that you know we talk about that a lot. You talk about that a lot. Your guests talk about that a lot. And um, oftentimes, 
rattle off a list of those options, but I would say don't get too bogged down in the details of trying to pick the perfect broker. Mm-hmm. Look at a few like look at a few comparison charts, maybe from different sites, and just pick one that calls to you um, and get started. There's yeah. so many that you know. Sometimes you can just get overwhelmed with all of the options that are there. Yes, talk to co- coworkers too. I'm sure that you're not the only one at work that wants to do more with their retirement account. I mean, talk to some of uh, the folks that are your colleagues or anyone. You know, um, talk to HR. So what do you recommend as an alternative for me? I mean, that these are questions that they've probably had to prepare answers for because it is no secret that people want to you know, save more for their futures. And companies that don't offer 401ks, they realize that that is uh, a disadvantage uh, for them and also for their ability to recruit employees. Maybe they've got some other ideas up their sleeves that maybe they could, you know, refer you to some places, but doesn't hurt to ask around the office. And thanks for your question. All right. Good work, Barbara. Thank you. Will, RB, Grace, Rebecca, Anonymous, I hope these have been helpful. These answers have been helpful. And if we miss anything or if you follow the advice and didn't like the outcome or loved the outcome, whatever, we do want to hear from you. So please continue to stay in touch. You can, as always, tap on that Ask Farnoosh button on somoneypodcast.com. You can find me on Instagram, direct message me there, Twitter, Facebook. I'm pretty accessible. And if uh, you're not getting anywhere on one platform, try another because life can get busy. But Barbara, what do you have plans for the holidays? Thanksgiving's rolling up. I'm going to be doing a whole 30 Thanksgiving. What? <laughs> well, it's pretty easy though, right? Because it's, I guess you can't have any stuffing though. Exactly. No stuffing, but I'm very excited for my green bean casserole with uh, tapioca starch crusted onions. Oh, green bean casserole. Did you hear that the founder of the green bean casserole passed away this year? And well, I'm gonna put a lot of extra effort. Yeah, let's let's pay homage her. to yeah. the green bean casserole queen. May she rest in peace. Hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, the show will go on during Thanksgiving week, but I just want to give you an early warm hug virtual hug hope you all have happy healthy thanksgiving is also a good time when you're at the table to talk about not only what you're grateful for and what you're thankful for we do that at our table every year but also why has this year been so money for you there's got to be something share it engage connect around money so important and i hope your weekend and your week is so money